0: In today's sermon, I want to focus on one particular blessing of paramount importance to every single person, especially those who are in possession of that blessing. But those who are without it or who are deficient in it suffer as a result of not having it. So it's really important to everyone. Even though the blessing I am focusing on today is rare, in certain respects, and becoming even more scarce. It's a blessing that God wants everyone to have. And in due time, the world will be confronted with this blessing on a universal scale. So what is the blessing? We'll be discussing today. It's the truth. When Jesus was on trial for his life, being examined before the Roman prefect or governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, Jesus said to him, "In as we read in John 18, beginning verse 37, John 18, verse 37, for this cause I was born and for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? In this question, Pilate more or less admitted that he, an official of the Roman government, having the power of life or death over a nation of people, he did not know the truth. He did not even know what truth is. Now perhaps there was an element of derision in Pilate's question, what is truth? Gill's commentary suggests the question as it states, might be put in a scornful, jeering way. Can you imagine yourself in a conversation with someone about a particular subject, say a controversial subject, like was Jesus an evildoer, as some claimed, who were persecuting him, as we read in John 18, verse 30? Or was he God in the flesh, as some believed? Or was he well-meaning but delusional, as Some so-called theologians have speculated. And you say to whomever you're contending with in the conversation, I know the truth. What kind of reaction would you expect? Might the reaction be, depending on with whom you're having the conversation, what makes you think you know the truth? because truth for many people especially in today's world is relative you hear people say things like she's got the right to speak her truth the idea is that her opinion is truth simply because it's her opinion truth for many people is malleable truth is subjective it's whatever you want it to be it's it's a uh, it, that has a, become a more and more popular idea in today's world. There is no really objective truth. And anyone who claims to know the truth is held up to ridicule. But according to Scripture, truth is not malleable. In many dictionaries, truth is defined as that which conforms to fact or what is actual. In the 1913 Webster's Dictionary, A definition of truth is, quoting, Conformity to fact or reality. Exact accordance with that which is or has been or shall be. Truth endures. Truth does not change with the fashions or the currents of popular fads or opinions. We read in Psalm 100 verse 5, Psalm 100 verse 5, For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. In Psalm 119, verse 160, Psalm 119, verse 160, The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Now human beings come and go, Whole nations rise up, flourish, and then decay and perish. But the truth endures. The skeptics, the critics, the naysayers, when they are dead, the truth will still endure. The Bible says, 1 Peter 1, beginning with verse 24, 1 Peter 1, verse 24, All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. From God's standpoint, what is truth for one man or woman is truth for all. Because God is no respecter of persons. And he does not lie. From the standpoint of how the Bible defines truth, Either Jesus did bear witness to to the truth as he said, or he did did not. And if he didn't, of course, he was lying. And a lie is not the truth. A lie is contrary to fact or reality. But a lie is often, if not always, intended to give the impression of being true. Individuals can lie deliberately, knowing that what they are saying is false, Or they may lie without realizing that they are lying because they are deceived. But either way they are lying. Because of pervasive lying, which seems to become ever more prevalent on the part of governments, media, educational institutions, and just about everyone else, including religious institutions, the world is in a state of confusion. And Isaiah's words apply to our time. In Isaiah 59 and verse 4, Hosea 59 verse 4, No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. Hosea wrote in Hosea 4 beginning with verse 1, Hosea 4 and verse 1, Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing, and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. So that, to to a large extent, describes our world today. The world today is deceived. And this should not be surprising to anyone who believes the Bible because that's exactly how the world or how the Bible describes this world. As we read in Revelation 12 verse 9, Revelation 12 verse 9 says that Satan deceives the whole world. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 13, evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. They'll grow worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. And so we see the progression of evil and lying, and deception as we review history and what has happened up to our age today. So, if you know the truth, especially the truth about the most important issues that affect your life, and future, namely your relationship with God, you are blessed in a way that exceeds that of most everyone else in the world. The truth about God and His nature is fundamental to your ultimate destiny. Yet the understanding and belief of such truth is extremely rare in today's world as it has been throughout history, only perhaps more so in some than in other eras of the history of the world, many either don't believe that God exists or they are agnostic. That is, they confess that they don't know if God exists or not. The cultural resource, or excuse me, the cultural research center at Arizona Christian University recently released the results of a survey to study the prevailing worldview of various age groups in the United States. The study concluded that Americans younger than 55 years old are significantly less likely to embrace traditional biblical teachings about the nature of God, salvation, creation, life after death, and biblical morality. The survey classified only one out of six millennials, or 16%, as what they called, quote, born-again Christians. Now, millennials is defined as people born in the 1985 to 2002 period in this survey. And they are far more likely, according to the survey, to be among people, and these are quoting directly from the survey, to be among, quote, people who either do not believe that he exists or do not care if he exists." The majority of millennials surveyed, that is, 54%, believe humans developed over time from less advanced forms. They are much less likely to believe that the universe was designed, created, and is maintained by God. By the way, you can see the uh, results of this uh, survey Posted online. I think I had to look it up on a website that preserves pages that have been deleted. I'm not sure you can uh, actually get this uh, directly from uh, the original page without going to one of those uh, websites. I can't remember the name of it. No, I didn't write it down, but uh, you could look up uh, the uh, Cultural Resource Center, Arizona Christian University uh, survey, February 2021. Probably find it in a link if you looked it up on your browser. The survey was conducted by Dr. George Barna, B-A-R-N-A, And uh, by the way, it was reported on widely in in news media, various uh, news sources, so you could probably find a lot of it in those sources. But the survey also concluded that only 6% of American adults possess what they term a biblical worldview. 6%, and this is uh, his estimate, of adults in the United States possess what he believes to be a biblical worldview, and his idea of biblical worldview might not necessarily be the same as yours, but he concluded, quote, 9 out of 10 American adults, or 88%, embrace an impure, unrecognizable worldview that blend ideas from multiple perspectives, a worldview that Barna calls syncretism. And what this means in plain terms is that most Americans are confused. Their worldview consists of a patchwork of lies, such as the theory of evolution mixed with false religious beliefs and beliefs from a variety of conflicting philosophies. So it's little wonder that many live for the moment without vision of a worth while purpose or meaning to life, pursuing their lusts and momentary pleasures with little or no understanding of the ultimate consequences of their decisions. Historically and today, the majority of those who do not accept the idea of God's existence are enmeshed in false religion, the worship of idols and false gods. But... Also, most of those who profess belief in the God of the Bible, who profess Christianity, are also in a state of confusion because, to a large extent, in most cases, they are following a religion that embraces many falsehoods and contradictions. Popular Christianity is itself a syncretistic blend of biblical ideas and pagan religious and philosophical ideas and practices. But Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's in John 8, beginning in verse 31. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Unfortunately, much of what is popularly called Christianity is not faithful to God's word, or the teachings of Jesus Christ. And as a result, few even among professing Christians know the truth about why humans were created and about the destiny that God has in mind for mankind. Most churches have taught that humans have an immortal soul and that humans don't really die, but rather go to heaven or hell when they die. And what one does in heaven is seldom if ever discussed, In hell, the common idea is that those sent there suffer eternal torture. The common belief is that one's fate is sealed upon death. All of these ideas that I've just mentioned, though commonly accepted among those who profess to be Christians, are false. And those who believe these concepts are deceived. Now many people who profess Christianity believe that one day Christ will return And there will be a resurrection. And the Bible indeed confirms that. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16. It says the Lord himself will descend from heaven. With a shout. With the voice of an archangel. And with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. But that raises an interesting question. Why? Would there be a need for a resurrection if the saved who had died are already with God in heaven? What's the point of a resurrection? If people have already received their reward in heaven, what sense does a resurrection make? Many churches have taught a doctrine of lawlessness. They have taught that a Christian is not obligated to keep the commandments of God including the Ten Commandments. The popular Jameson, Fawcett, Brown commentary states the following in commenting on Colossians 2 and verse 14. It says, quoting from Jameson, Fawcett, Brown commentary, quote, the law, including especially the moral law, wherein lay the chief difficulty in obeying, is abrogated to the believer, end quote. It's abrogated to the believer. What that means is that it's not necessary. It doesn't exist as far as someone who claims to be a believer is concerned. Such a person is not obligated to obey the Ten Commandments. Now, some may teach that some of the Ten Commandments apply to Christians, but other of the commandments do not. A confusing and contradictory article appears on a website called compellingtruth.org with the title, Are Christians Expected to Obey the Old Testament Law? The article states, quoting, Jesus fulfilled the law and culminated the requirement of following it. They quote, and they give reference to Romans 10 and verse 4. Jesus fulfilled the law and culminated the requirement of following it. Culminated means essentially cause to cease. In other words, did away with any requirement to follow the law. They go on to say, and I'm still quoting here, in its place we have the law of Christ. And they make reference to Galatians 6 and verse 2. Going on, they say, which is expressed in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39, Quoting that scripture, they go on, Love the Lord Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. End quote. Now, it's interesting here that they failed to note that Jesus was, in fact, quoting from the Old Testament law, that they said we don't have to obey, Jesus was quoting from that Old Testament law when he made that statement. The context is shown in the following, where we quote Matthew 22, verses 35 through 40, where Jesus said, or where where the the scripture says, teacher, and uh, this was uh, one of the Pharisees, I believe, speaking to uh, Jesus, said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. Now notice that this last sentence was not quoted in that statement we read from compellingtruth.org. And also the introduction was not quoted where the question was asked, which is the great commandment in the law? The first of these commandments is quoted from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. The second is quoted from Leviticus 19, verse 18. And keeping these commandments keeping the commandment to love God and love your neighbor does not justify abandoning the other commandments of God. Nothing that Jesus said suggests such a thing. And as a matter of fact, these two great commandments are kept as one obeys the Ten Commandments and ancillary commandments because they give us specific ways in which those principles of love are to be applied. The article in question goes on to say, quote, do Christians need to obey the Old Testament law? No. However, the Old Testament law does provide guidelines for living the Christian life. The moral laws given to the Israelites describe practical ways to love God and others. So, are these commandments that God gave in Scripture, are they laws or are they mere guidelines for Christians? In other words, is there any real penalty for disobedience to these precepts? If there's a law involved, then logically there would be a penalty for disobedience. If it's just a guideline, who knows? What does Scripture say? Revelation chapter 21, verse 7. Revelation 21, verse 7. We read, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. End quote. Now, it seems to me that based on this, there are definite penalties for breaking the commandments of God. And in Colossians 3 and verse 5, Colossians 3 beginning of verse 5, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the Son's of disobedience, end quote. Then in Galatians 5, beginning in verse 19, Galatians 5, verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, all of these statements that I just read were written to Christians. and Now, they certainly apply to others as well, but they apply to Christians. In another article with the title, Are the Ten Commandments Repeated in the New Testament? Are the Ten Commandments Repeated in the New Testament? CompellingTruth.org affirms that the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament. And so, quoting from that article, it says, We see in the New Testament nine of the Ten Commandments given as instructions for Christians and how they are to live the new lives they have been given in Jesus. But the article goes on to say, quote, the Saturday Sabbath command is not specifically given for New Testament believers, end quote. Now the Apostle James wrote in the book of James, chapter 2 beginning verse 10, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Notice that James says we're being judged by these laws. And this was written certainly to Christians, and may have been written to others as well, but really it applies to everybody, that we're all being judged by this law. And what law was it? The law that says you shall not commit adultery, the law that says you shall not murder. And he said if you break any of these laws, you're guilty of being a transgressor of the law. So how are we to understand this scripture? In commenting on verse 10, Gill's commentary says the following, quote, It may be inferred from hence that a man is not at liberty to obey and to neglect what commandments of the law he pleases, but should have respect to them all, which seems greatly the design of the apostle as appears by what follows, end quote. So according to Gill's understanding of this statement by James, we're not free to just pick and choose which of the Ten Commandments we're going to obey or disobey. We're to obey all of them. And that would include the Sabbath. What's implied is that any transgression of God's commandments merits the death penalty because we're told that the breaking of the commandments result in death. That is, the death penalty being imposed on us. In Romans 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It also should be noted that breaking any one commandment almost always involves breaking others. And anyone, especially professing Christians, who willfully violates the laws or commandments of God is subject to God's wrath unless he repents, and Scripture makes that very clear. We published several articles relating to various questions about the Sabbath in particular and whether Christians are obliged to keep it. Included in those articles are Did Jesus Break the Sabbath, the Weekly Sabbath, and its Meaning, and Why Christians Should Keep the Sabbath. And these articles can be found on our website, cogmessenger.org if you want a printed copy of any of these articles and have no means of printing them from our website, contact us to request a copy. And we'll gladly send it to you. Now some who keep the Sabbath, who in fact do keep the Sabbath, at the same time teach that the law forbidding graven images does not apply to Christians. So they keep Again, some of the commandments may be claimed that several of them are to be kept, including the Sabbath, but not the one that forbids graven images. John wrote, First John chapter two and verse four. First John two and verse four: He who says, "I know him," and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So, someone who says who professes that he knows Christ, but refuses to keep the commandments according to Scripture, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. If one rejects any or all the Ten Commandments and ancillary commandments, he is, in fact, rejecting the truth. We read in Psalm 119, verse 151, Psalm 119, verse 151, You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. All your commandments are truth. And if we strive to keep the commandments of God, we can grow in understanding and increase our security in the truth. We read in Psalm 19, verse 8 Psalm 19, verse 8 The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. For the commandment is a lamp, we read in Proverbs 6, verse 23. The commandment is a lamp and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. The word of God, the commandments of God, the truth are all inseparably linked. In Psalm 119 verse 142, Psalm 119 verse 142 we read, Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and your law is truth. We read in Proverbs this advice, Proverbs 3 and verse 1, Proverbs 3 beginning with verse 1 My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments, or my commands, for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So, if we are going to hold fast to the truth, then we need to be keeping the commandments of God. In Psalm 111 and verse 7, Psalm 111 and verse 7, the works of his hands are verity, verity is another word for truth, works of his hands are verity and justice all his precepts are sure they stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness In Psalm 33 and verse 4 Psalm 33 and verse 4 for the word of the Lord is right and all his work is done in truth according to scripture Christ's followers are sanctified by the truth the word of God In a prayer to the Father, Jesus said in John 17, verse 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Christ's followers, his true followers are sanctified, that is separated, set apart, made holy by the truth, which is God's word. And God gives his spirit to us if we keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments. Jesus said in John 14, beginning in verse 15, John 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Notice He said, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom, or which as it should be translated, the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. We read in Acts 5, verse 32. We read in Acts 5, verse 32, of the Holy Spirit which God hath given to those who obey Him, or better translated, which God gives to those who obey to obey Him. And this is from the Noyes translation. Essential to having and maintaining the blessing of knowing and understanding the truth is yielding to and striving sincerely to obey the Ten Commandments and those commandments that show how the more general commandments are to be applied in various circumstances. Also, we must follow the teachings of the apostles if we are to retain our grip on the truth because in Ephesians 2 and verse 20, we read, Ephesians 2 and verse 20, that the church, God's church, which consists of those who have the Spirit of God, those who are the faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. To have truth working in us to affect righteousness means that we must be sincerely seeking to be truthful in our words and conduct. David committed the grievous sin of adultery. In an effort to conceal that sin, he also committed what amounted to murder. But David came to understand the weakness of his carnal nature when he faced up finally to what he had done. And he understood that facing the truth, acknowledging the truth, is a key to further understanding and wisdom. He wrote in the uh, 51st Psalm, beginning in verse 5, Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. God desires truth in our innermost being. And if we have truth dwelling there, then we will grow in wisdom and understanding. One of the great sins of the religious leaders who opposed Jesus was hypocrisy. Now hypocrisy is a form of lying or deceit. And Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 12, beginning in verse 1, Luke 12, verse 1, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. In the final analysis, none of us can hide from God because God knows our innermost thoughts and He can see what is in our hearts regardless of any efforts to hide those things from Him or others. Israel of old was rejected as a people Because of hypocrisy, these were the people God had chosen to reveal himself to in a way that he had not revealed himself to other peoples in ancient times. And he gave them his laws. And offered them many blessings if they would simply obey those laws. But they were rejected because of hypocrisy among other sins, deceitfully using God's name. In Isaiah 48 and verse 1. Isaiah 48 and verse 1. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are, called by, who are called by the name of Israel and have come forth from the wellsprings of Judah who swear by the name of the Lord and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth or in righteousness. Yes, they swore by the name of the Lord and claimed to be the people of God, the God of Israel, but not in truth or righteousness. For our part we are to cast out the leaven of hypocrisy, of malice, of wickedness, and replace it with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, as we are told in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 8. God demands that those who worship Him worship Him in truth. As He said in John 4, verse 23, John 4 verse 23, the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him, worship in spirit and truth. Worship that is characterized by falsehood, by deceit, by substituting man's rules for God's commandments, is vain worship. In Quoting Isaiah, Jesus condemned worship rooted in hypocrisy. When he said in Matthew 15, verse 8, Matthew 15, verse 8, he said to some of the leaders of the Jews who sought to persecute him and said, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. We need to seek the truth continually. And cry out to God to reveal it to us more perfectly. We read in Psalm 25, beginning in verse 4. Psalm 25, verse 4. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the god of my salvation on you i wait all the day so we need to be crying out for god to teach us the truth we should study god's word diligently so that we may grow in our comprehension of the truth we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15 be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. One of the benefits of knowing and believing the truth is that it gives you something stable to shelter you in times of turmoil, such as the world faces now. As we read in Psalm 91 and verse 4, Psalm 91 and verse 4, He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Those who have knowledge of the truth have an obligation to share it when given the opportunity. We of the church together are making a collective effort to do that. In Psalm 40 and verse 9, Psalm 40 and verse 9, we read, I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord, O Lord, You yourself know I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. We should be careful that what we communicate to others is the truth. Even if they don't believe it. And frankly, most people don't believe the truth when they are confronted with it in today's world. But it wasn't that much different in the days of Paul and the other apostles either when he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning verse 2, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 2, he said, We have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ as the image of God should shine on them. We should speak the truth to one another and put away lying we read in Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 25. Ephesians 4, and verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We need to remember, too, that we are being judged by the truth. Now, Jesus said in John chapter 12, Begin with verse 47. He said, If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. That is, he was not judging them at that time. But he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. God's word is... The criteria, the cr- criterion by which we are just, uh, uh, by which we are judged. And God does not judge arbitrarily. He does not play favorites. He is a just judge. And He judges according to the written word of God, the law, the laws that He has given us, the standards that we are to live by. All of us will be judged or are being judged by those standards, the truth, the objective reality, by the things that we actually do or say or have done or said. When Jesus Christ returns to the earth, he is going to remove the veil of deception from the eyes of mankind. As we read in Isaiah 25 verse 7, he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. God wants everybody to know the truth and the day will come when they will know the truth. In First Timothy 2 and verse 4, we read that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Israel and the other nations of the earth will have the truth revealed and taught to them. They will learn to walk in truth. In Isaiah 26 and verse 2, a prophecy of that time says, Isaiah 26 and verse 2, Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. In Isaiah 61 and verse 8, Isaiah 61 and verse 8, we read, I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth and I will make with them an everlasting covenant. So this is what God is going to do after Jesus Christ returns with all of humanity. He's going to direct their work in truth and make an everlasting covenant for those willing to enter into the covenant. Truth abiding in one's heart. Is necessary for him to enter God's kingdom. In Psalm 15, verse 1, Psalm 15, verse 1, it says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? In other words, who will be in your kingdom? It goes on to say, He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. We need to appreciate the blessing of the knowledge of truth that we have, the truth that most people in the world do not yet have. And we should think about it often and we should thank God for it often as we read in Psalm 115, verse 1. Psalm 115, verse 1, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth.